Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. Merry Christmas, everybody. How you doing? Good to see you today. Man, we want to welcome you. We are one church right now gathering in multiple spaces and places around our great city. And so I want to say hello to each and every one of our campuses. Uh, those of you that are joining us from north, our downtown campus, west, those of you here at Northwest, and uh, I just got word that uh, this room here at Northwest is so full, we have people sitting in overflow upstairs. So if you happen to be sitting in overflow, can we just let them know how much we appreciate them? Come on, include them in. Man, we're glad to have you guys. And uh, so thankful to have you here. Uh, this is a big, big deal to us. And um, if you're a guest, maybe you are visiting family from out of town, man, we want to welcome you. And especially if you got an invite, maybe from a coworker or a friend, to come to a Christmas service, we are absolutely thrilled that you are here. Uh, I'm sure that many of us have probably heard of this phrase in some context before, but the phrase is simply style over substance. And I don't know how that phrase hits you or how you feel about it. It's got a little bit of a negative connotation to it. It's like sort of like, uh, well, maybe you look good on the outside, but you're covering some stuff up on the inside. And I'm just kind of curious, how many of you would be courageous enough to self-identify right now as a style person? Like you're like, I care about what I look like. And some of you are afraid to answer this question because you think this is a setup. <laughs> you're like, you're trying to get me to admit that I'm a shallow person in church and I'm not going to do it, right? So I get that. I, that's, this is not a trick question. Just loud and proud. Those of you style people in the room, come on, man, all of our campuses, raise your hand if you care about what you look like. There you are. There you are. I saw you when you came in. You're looking good. Those of you that would not consider yourself that, notice the hands that went up around you, and I bet you that they'll be happy to give you some pointers if you hang around after the service is over. Now, how many of you would kind of go the other way and say, well, I'm kind of more of like a substance person. I, I, I don't really care really that much about fashion and trends, just as long as it's clean and presentable. How many of you, come on, substance people, where are you at? We need you. There you are. There you are. Th those are the responsible people. Right there. Those are the people that pay the bills and give us wise counsel like we, we need you. Now, how many of you in the room are a little bit irritated that I'm making you choose between the two, right? You're like, I don't think I like this. You're trying to get me to admit that I'm either a shallow person or that I'm just sort of out of touch and I don't like it. And if uh, that's you, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't want to choose between style and substance. And I think if, if we were to be really honest, uh, none of us... Uh, are really what we present to others on the outside. And I'm not even saying that we're faking it or being a fraud. It's just that we don't necessarily air out everything to other people. There's a fair amount of wisdom in that. Uh, I think that out of all the holidays that we celebrate during the year, uh, Christmas has the most style. And with all the decorations and the lights and the music and the festivities, I mean, it's just, it's just so much style to Christmas. And I think that uh, one of the central figures that contributes to a lot of that style is uh, this guy right here, jolly old Saint Nick, you know, Santa Claus. He's kind of, 
kind of pictures the, the style of Christmas. And what you may or may not know about him, regardless of how you feel about him, is that the historical basis for Santa Claus uh, was a guy by the name of St. Nicholas. He was a bishop that lived uh, during the 4th century in Myra in Asia Minor. And St. Nicholas came from a wealthy family, and he liked to give gifts away to people in need. Uh, they would often distribute food during a famine. Uh, he was always thinking of, of others. He was an incredible guy. And in A.D. 325, so about 300 years after the life of Jesus, St. Nicholas gets invited to a, a meeting of church leaders. And the point of the meeting was to discuss the person of Jesus. As more specifically, should Jesus be at the center of everything? And there was a bishop in the room named Arius that didn't feel that Jesus should be. Uh, Arius just thought Jesus was another good moral teacher or a philosopher, but he didn't believe that he was the son of God, and he wanted to remove Jesus from the center of our conversation. Well, all the bishops are kind of listening patiently and quietly to Arius kind of do his thing, and St. Nicholas is sort of sitting in the back getting agitated, and his blood starts to boil at some of the things that he hears Arius saying, and so he walks down onto the platform where Arius is, rears back in front of everybody, and lays Arius out with a left hook. <laughs> you heard me right. Santa punched a guy in the mouth. And, you know, I've, I've heard of Deck the Halls before, but um, Deck the Heretical Bishop is, an, is another one, you know. And, and I love that story because it just, there's just kind of a realness to it. You know, there's, there's sort of a substance to St. Nicholas. Now, none of us would advocate punching somebody in the mouth to get something done. But that meeting, and more specifically that moment, turned out to be really pivotal because that meeting was actually something called the Council of Nicaea. And out of the Council of Nicaea, some of you know this, the, the Nicene Creed was produced. And what the Nicene Creed is, maybe some of you are familiar with that, maybe you memorized it. If you haven't heard of it, that's okay. But the Nicene Creed is actually a creed that we've held onto through church history that basically the whole purpose of it is to communicate the centrality and the purpose of Jesus. That Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection is the center of everything. That Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection reconnects us back to God. And even more specifically, that Jesus' life is a statement of how loved you really are. And how much worth you really have in the eyes of God. See, as it turns out, Christmas is much more than just uh, style. There's a lot of substance to Christmas. In fact, the very first Christmas splits time into two. All of human history is divided into what came before Jesus' birth and what came after Jesus' birth. And if you are visiting with us, we've been in this uh, Christmas message series over the past month called evergreen and basically what we've been doing is we've just been looking at the birth of the Messiah we often do that at Christmas time but most of the time we, we usually go to Luke when we do that now out of the four gospel writers Matthew Mark Luke and John all four of them their, their purpose for writing was to introduce us to 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 who Jesus is and to how he came and they all do it a little bit differently Luke is where we normally go for the style of Christmas and more specifically the nativity scene with Mary and Joseph in the manger, no room in the inn, little baby Jesus in a manger with farm animals, the star, the shepherds, the whole deal. And it's beautiful and it's picturesque the way that Luke writes and gives it to us, and I'm thankful for it. Matthew, on the other hand, gives us, 
more of the substance of Christmas. Matthew kind of takes us behind the scenes and, and he tells us some stories that are kind of messy. Some stories of some people's lives that are, that are broken. They don't have all the answers. And growing up, I just didn't appreciate it because Matthew's version of Christmas is just a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. But now that I'm a little bit older, I really value Matthew's version of Christmas. And he's basically just given us all these names. It's Jesus' family tree, these men and women that were his great-great-grandparents. And when you look at the stories behind the names, there's a lot there. It's God's statement to you and to me. In fact, one of the things we like to say around here is behind every name is a story. That you're not just a name. That you're not just a face in the crowd. That you're not just another number. But that your life is a story that God is telling and it has incredible worth and value and we've just been walking through some of the lives of these ordinary people in Jesus family tree and today for this Christmas Eve service I want to look at the young woman that was chosen to be Jesus mother and more specifically I want to look at the details around her story and I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 16 and this may be very very familiar to you uh, even if you don't find yourself in church a lot, or maybe you don't know the Bible super well, you probably know the gist of this story. You've probably heard it before. We maybe read it every Christmas. But what I want you to do is just pay attention to the circumstances that are less than ideal. And that's putting it mildly. I mean, if you were really going to have somebody in the position of Mary to give birth to the Son of God, then you would just tell the story differently. But notice how all this goes down. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to his son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So this is the way that this all goes down. And I just want you to imagine just for a moment what Mary might have been feeling, not only on that first Christmas, but in the days and even in the years to follow. I mean, it's not like God, you know, took volunteers for the job. You know, I mean, if you're thinking about it today, like you, if God were to choose a young lady to bring the Messiah into the world, he might choose her the way that we often have a tendency to choose winners today like we just do like a reality show right 
It's like America's Got Talent or The Voice, and maybe God would just do a reality show. It's like, who wants to give birth to the Messiah? And you just have all these young ladies come and audition, and then he would pick the best one. But that, that's not how it all went down. God comes to this young, inexperienced, bewildered young girl who's just getting started in life. I mean, Mary was, was a teenager. I mean, maybe, maybe you knew that, but maybe you'd forgotten it. And, and when I say teenager, I'm not saying like 19, getting ready to turn 20. I mean more like 14, maybe 15. And she would have been insecure. She wouldn't have fully known who she was just yet. It's not like God consulted her, sent the angel and said, Hey, Mary, what do you think about this? Why don't you give some, some thought to this and tell me if you're in or not? No, he just placed the responsibility on her shoulders. And I don't want to take anything away from Mary you know, oftentimes whenever uh, we've seen images of Mary or an artist's portrayal of what we might think that she looked like, have you ever noticed that she just looks so poised and so confident and calm and serene and in control? And like I said, and I don't want to take anything away from her because I think that she was one of the most courageous human beings to ever walk the planet. But I also know she was a human. I also know that she had real fear. I also know that she's just like the rest of us and there were probably moments and times when she wondered if she really had what it took. I mean, the angel comes and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to this child and he's going to save the people from their sins. He's going to be the hope of the world. Talk about pressure. Now, I don't know about those of you that are parents in the room. Let me hear from those of you who are parents in the room, right? We heard from the kids earlier. Yeah, you're tired. You're t you can barely muster the energy to clap right now. I get it. I, I, I got four kids at home, and I love my kids. It, it is one of the greatest blessings in my life to be a father to four kids. And at the same time, it's one of the, it's, it is hands down the hardest job I've ever had. And there are plenty of moments when I wonder if I'm doing it right. You know, I had to take a driver's test to get a driver's license. I didn't have to take a test to have a kid. That's kind of scary, right? It's just like, it's like there are moments when uh, I think, well, you know, I need to stop saving for their college fund. I need to start a therapy fund. That's what I need to do. So that way they can recover one day from all the ways I'm messing them up. And, and yet I hope that they all grow up to do incredible things. I, I look at each one of them and think they have the potential to change the world, but I'm pretty confident that even though they're going to grow up and do amazing things, that none of them are the Messiah. I'm, I'm very confident of that. All right? just... <laughs> and so could you just imagine, I'm sure that Mary had her moments when she's like, did God pick the right girl? Moments when she lost her temper Moments when Jesus just was not cooperating, like she's trying to get him in the tub to get cleaned up, and he just will not soak under the water. He's walking around on top of the water. He's like, Jesus, would you get yourself under the water? I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed, young man, right? I mean, they're just these. That is such an old joke, but it gets laughs every time, all right? And I'm thankful you laugh. That's the seventh time I've used that one, all right? So... See, I think that there were probably moments when Mary had these three questions that were rolling around in her mind and in her heart that oftentimes were condemning her. And these three questions I think Mary wrestled with, uh, I feel that there's a good chance that you're wrestling with it right now. 
even though perhaps we don't know each other, maybe we've never met, but um, I know that these are three questions that I have wrestled with and that I continue to wrestle with. And in fact, I would even say even right now, like these questions are usually always in the back of my mind. Because, and I think that it's in the back of all of our minds because these three questions really mark us as human beings. It's what it means to be human. It's the stuff that we wrestle with on the inside. And I think that the first question that Mary wrestled with beginning the evening that the angel came in and announced this news to her was just simply this question right here. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And she wanted to... She wanted to have the faith. She wanted to be obedient to what it was that God was asking her to do. But you know that inside the substance of who she was, she was just questioning it. And can I just ask you today on this Christmas Eve, as we're bringing the close to a year down with 2018, as we're beginning to launch into another year, is, can you ask that question of any area of your life? Why is this happening And maybe it would be something that you're presently wrestling with. Maybe it's something that has happened in the past year. You say, why did that happen? And it's like, well, where was God in that moment? Or uh, why am I going through this? And is God trying to punish me? And did I make the wrong decision here? And I think Mary was asking that. I think that very quickly leads to the second question is, what am I supposed to do? What, What am I supposed to do now? Or what am I supposed to do next? Okay, so here I am in this moment. And Many of us, maybe we phrase it like, what's the will of God for my life? Or what what decision should I make? Or what job should I take? Or where should we move? Or the number of decisions that you've got in front of you. It's like, what, what what am I supposed to do next? And then it very quickly leads to this third question that many of us don't want to ever verbalize, but it's with us a lot, is am I enough? Like, am I really enough? Like, not, not, not what I can do, not what I can accomplish, not what I can earn, not who I know, but am I enough? Do, do I have worth just because of who I am? Am I loved unconditionally? And many of us are perhaps afraid to ask that question. I would say those three questions really define what it means to be human. That if you're not asking those questions, there's probably something wrong with you or you're just not being honest. And it's within all of us. It's the substance of, of who we are. And I would say that those, the answer to those questions is a defining moment. It, it's an opportunity for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to, to cling to hope. It's an opportunity for us to, to know why we're here. But if we don't handle those questions well, those are opportunities for condemnation. And we begin to maybe feel worse about ourselves or we begin to spiral down into a really dark place. Maybe this is what is at the root of some of our wrestling matches with anxiety and depression. And so I I would contend that when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, the nativity scene was God's answer to those questions. That when Jesus came, God was making a statement of your infinite worth and your value. And he would say, I've not come to condemn you. I've not come to be those voices in your head that would tell you that you're not enough. I've come to actually lighten the load. I've come to actually tell you that you're not alone in this space and in this place. All this is found, I love John 3.16. It's perhaps a verse that you've memorized or you know it when I start saying it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I memorized that as a kid, but I don't ever remember memorizing the next verse, verse 17. And I should have, because I love it. 
Verse 17 says this, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And I love how John phrases that because it's perfect. He says, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn you. God didn't send Jesus into the world to judge you. God didn't send Jesus into the world to tell you how bad you are. However, he also didn't send Jesus into the world just to reassure you. He didn't send Jesus into the world just to affirm you or to tell you that, you know, you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. That, that's not why Jesus came. He says, no, Jesus came to save. And that implies that there isn't anything that we can do to save ourselves. That we were in this position in which we needed a Savior. And all this is found in the names of Jesus. Did you know that the name Jesus literally means God saves? And for the longest time when I was growing up, I always thought that Christ was his last name. Like Jesus Jeffrey Christ. Right? It's just had kind of like a nice ring to it. But Christ is not his last name. Christ means to be set apart for a task. And so right there in Jesus' name, Jesus Christ is God saves, and that's the task by which he came. He was laser-focused upon it. And you see it all throughout his life and his ministry. The disciples didn't understand it. They wanted him to actually run for political office, and the religious leaders didn't understand it, and people wanted him to perform miracles, and, and Jesus didn't just come to do tricks. That's why he would heal somebody and say, hey, don't talk about this. Because he wasn't interested in people following him for what he could do for them. He was interested in coming to save and that was the primary purpose that Jesus came. And then the third name, which is found in our passage, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, that God does not save at a distance. God does not stand back and say, I don't want to get your mess on me. No, God is willing to jump right in, head first into our humanity, which is what the family tree of Jesus is all about. You ever tried to save somebody at a distance? Doesn't really work. If somebody ever like fall into a swimming pool, maybe they can't swim. And, and what's the most effective way to save? Well, that's to jump in. Doesn't really do a whole lot of good for you to stand on the side and be, come on. You know, you can do it. I'm right, I'm right here for moral support. No, you know, the most effective way to help is to jump in. You know, the most effective way to encourage somebody isn't just to send them a text or to write them a letter. Those can help, but it's to actually say, hey, you know what? I'm on my way over. Hey, we'll sit down together. We'll make eye contact. Uh, I'll be with you. And I don't know exactly fully what to say, but I'm, I'm here. That's the name Emmanuel. Is that God says, I'm going to come right into your situation. So all of those moments of condemnation that you wrestle with by yourself, when you wonder why is this happening, and what am I supposed to do next, and am I enough, Really, those are questions of, am I really worth it? Do I have value? Am I loved unconditionally? Not just for who I know and what I accomplish and what I earn. And the nativity scene is God's statement that says, yes, you have infinite worth and value. You are more loved than you can possibly imagine. And see, I don't know if you will be in church next week or not. I don't know if it'll be next Christmas before we'll see you again. And I hope, I hope we do. And I'm glad that you're here, regardless of what, maybe where you stand with God right now. But the way I see it is like, I, I kind of got you right now. And while I got you right now, I just want to take an opportunity not to say anything to condemn you or to judge you or to make you feel ashamed of yourself. I just, more than anything, just want you to know that you're more loved than you can possibly know. 
I want you to know that you have more worth to the God of this universe than you may have possibly ever heard. And it's because of the birth of Jesus Christ. God says, I'm not just going to save at a distance. This isn't going to be transactional. Jesus isn't just going to get beamed down like Scotty, do his thing and get beamed up. Now he'll come into the world the way that every single person in this room came into the world. A human birth. And he'll experience every temptation and struggle and emotion that you and I have experienced. So that way Jesus can say with integrity that there isn't anything that you've experienced that I haven't either. And I've come to identify with you. And I've come to send a message that you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. And so many times as a church, we mess that message up. Who wouldn't want to believe in that? So many times we just think, well, it just means I got to get my act together and I got to be, not stop being naughty and I got to be nice. Or I, I've got, as we say around here all the time, that Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good, Jesus came to make dead people alive. And he wants your heart. And when, you guys, when he's got your heart, it's actually a joy to follow after him. You're actually being more you than you've ever been in your entire life because you're following after your creator, your heavenly father. It's the best gift that you could ever get at Christmas, that Jesus would just come, say, hey, listen, I've done everything that is sufficient for you to be saved. Man, all you gotta do is just rest in that. And all he wants is a relationship where you'd begin to walk with him. And I just wonder, maybe on this Christmas, if there would be anybody listening at any one of our campuses that would just simply say this, uh, I, I'm at least ready to open myself up to that fact that this is really true. And maybe you wouldn't go all in yet. Maybe you wouldn't say you believe everything about the Bible just yet. Maybe you would say, I've still got a ton of questions. That's totally fine. That's why the most commonly used analogy in the scriptures for a relationship with Jesus is a walk. He just simply says, go on a walk with me. Just invite me into these spaces and places in your life. Just in, in this next year, in 2019, and just see what I might do. Because Jesus has come to save, and Jesus has come to be with us. That was the task by which he came. I love the uh, story of the grandfather who goes over to his daughter's house for Christmas, and when he walks in the door, his two-year-old grandson is in the other room screaming his lungs out. And immediately the grandfather wants to just go in and pick him up and comfort him. But his daughter stops him, and she says, Dad, no. She said, he's in timeout. He was acting out earlier, and we can't go in and pick him up just yet. Just give it a few minutes, and then I'll tell you when you can go in. You can grab him. And, well, this grandfather, you know, he doesn't get to see his grandson very often. It's Christmas, and he's just like, oh, this is killing me. I want to go in and comfort my grandson. And, and a few minutes goes by, and uh, the two-year-old boy calms down. She doesn't hear any screaming or crying anymore. And so she decides to go in and kind of check on him. And she peers around the corner. And that's when she sees her father has climbed up and into the pack and play. <laughs> this thing's threatening to implode in on itself. And he's sitting there comforting his grandson. It's like, if I can't pull my grandson up and out of that, then I'll, I'll go to him. I love that story because that's just the heart of our father. He just says, I just want to, would you just invite me into your life? Would you just invite me into the middle of those three questions? Would you let me answer those questions for you? I love you that much. You see, what Jesus came to bring was a light. That's why we string lights everywhere at Christmas. Jesus came to not only illuminate our path, but illuminate our hearts to help us to, to have this lens by which we might 
see the rest of the, the world. And what I love about Christmas is that Jesus came to be a light. And so that light gets ignited in your heart and then it spreads from one person to another. And, and I'm not talking about proselytization. I'm talking about just giving hope. See, see, the most common response to people who have met a savior is that they are hopeful and they are helpful. And I'd love those two words to define who we are as a church, to be hopeful, because we have every reason to be, have, be hopeful and to be helpful. And that's part of what our year-end Christmas offering is about. And we want to give to an organization called Hands of Hope um, to help give hope to, to children that don't have families in our city. And you've been hearing us talk about that over the last month. And I want to encourage you to participate in that year-end offering. That's just one way for us to bring hope and help to a watching world. And so today we're going to end our Christmas service time. This is my favorite moment of my favorite service during the year. It's just a Christmas candle lighting. And I want to just ask you to, to grab the candle, hopefully, that you got when you walked in. And we're going to stand to our feet here in a moment. We're going to light the candles and watch the, watch the light spread across the, the room at all of our campuses. And we're going to lift our voices and sing some Christmas carols together.